Alright, hello there everyone and welcome to the 411 Ground and Pound MMA podcast. We are your weekly look into the wide, wacky, wonderful world of mixed martial arts. My name is Robert Winfrey and, per usual, I'm your host. Alright, stuff to talk about tonight. We had a fairly busy weekend in the world of mixed martial arts. We had the UFC event. Boy, do I have thoughts. Uh, Both Bellator and One had events. One actually had a couple, uh, including their second offering on Prime Video. Uh, so I will give some quick thoughts on some of the highlights from those. And general news of the week. I mean, as all the usual stuff. All right. Before we get too deep into it, as always, please like, comment, subscribe, share. That's the most important thing. Star rating, written review, whatever is most applicable to whatever the circumstance and platform you happen to be using. That all helps. It's all tremendous. And I thank you all very, very much for all the support you're able to give the show. It does mean a lot. Okay, before we get going further, and my usual spiel's out of the way, uh, and just kind of before talking about the UFC, the professional wrestling and martial arts world in general lost uh, an icon. There's not really a lot of other ways to say it. News broke on Friday that uh, the founder of New Japan Pro Wrestling, actually, Antonio Inoki, had passed away. He was 79. Uh, if you're not familiar with Inoki's work, his, his influence is felt tremendously throughout the professional wrestling and the MMA world. Uh, He ran some MMA events as a promoter. He was a very legitimate martial artist, in addition to being a professional wrestler. He was one half of what was largely considered... It's certainly one of the first mixed rules fights, his bout with Muhammad Ali, about... If we're just talking the action, about the less said the better. But for importance and, you know, kind of box office was definitely a big deal. I mean, he wrestled in, I think when he, he wrestled Ric Flair, and I want to say North Korea, in front, or was it in North Korea at the time? I forget if North Korea was completely cut off, but one of the, one of the Koreas. In front of this enormous crowd, just like as a demonstration of, you know, stuff for peace. They had a professional wrestling event for peace. Take it for what it's worth. Uh, the man negotiated hostage releases with Saddam Hussein when that maniac took hostages. He, like, flew to... <laughs> he flew to Iraq and negotiated for some hostage release. Like, just... A, a, one of the craziest lives ever. Uh, and he, again, he passed again, almost 80. Uh, just... Uh, definitely a loss, but... I just wanted to take a moment to acknowledge that uh, to his friends, family, those who know him, for whatever my condolences are worth, you absolutely have them. All right, let's get into the action proper here. Uh, last night, UFC on ESPN plus 69. Main event, Yan Xiaonan defeats Mackenzie Dern via majority decision. 248-47s, 147-47. Doing this live... I scored it a draw. I scored a 47-47. I thought Dern did enough in the fifth to earn a 10-8. Now, that's not a hill I'm going to die on. If you want me to, again, I'll defend it because I think it's certainly defensible. One other judge agreed with me. But I'm not, I'm not up in arms over it not being a 10-8 for a lot of people. That, it's a marginal call and, like I said, a marginal one that I'm willing to go along with as far as being a 10-8, but Knowing that, knowing that it was, again, marginal in that respect, I said, I'm not up in arms over it. 
Um, Jan wins rounds one, three, and four. Not too much controversy here. Dern two and five, and again, the only like scoring issue is whether or not you thought she got a ten eight in the fifth. Uh, and I think going ten eight or ten nine is both. Either one is perfectly defensible by the scoring criteria. If you were, if we were to use the who won the overall fight criteria, though, that muddies the waters a little bit. Because Dern was a lot closer to ending things. Um, I said Jan did a lot of good work. I don't know. Like I said, that I wasn't judging it on that criteria, but if you were, that does muddy things, just for the record. Um, in fact, the criteria might change if you were to... Using the 10-point must system scoring criteria and applying it to the fight as a whole rather than round by round, which is a weird way of going about that... Just hypothetically, I would actually give it to Dern, I think. We use one scoring criteria, and again, apply it to the whole fight. Um, I might be okay with Yawn in that context. She landed some good punches throughout this fight. Again, it was a closely contested fight when looked at as a whole. The individual rounds are not especially compelling. In the sense that there's no doubt about who won them. There's no round where you go, eh, I don't know who won that one. No, the, the round the round winner was always clear. There's no debate around that at any point. Uh, let's see. So what do I want to say here? Good win for Jan. The UFC wants to kind of keep the Chinese market strong. So if, positive scenario here, if... Zhang Wei Li is able to defeat Carla Esparza, and I, I favor her to do so, for the record. That's my pick. The UFC might try to headline a show in China with Yan versus Zhang for Zhang's title. That's, that's a very real possibility, and I don't think one that should be discounted. Um, Yan... Yan's got a case. The problem is this is her best win. And she got finished by Esparza, which is going to kind of loom large. If Esparza beats Zhang, she's going to need at least one more win. That's just kind of how that works. But uh, she looked pretty good here. When she was able to remember to circle, she stayed off the fence pretty well. Her defensive grappling for the jujitsu disparity that exists between these two. And it's massive. She was defensively good enough to not get submitted in positions where a lot of other people would have been toast. Would have been just straight up toast. So I, I give her a lot of credit for that. Her takedown, de it's hard to say if her takedown defense has improved since the loss to Esparza because there's elements of it that have. Uh, I think unequivocally, her single leg defense has gotten better. Because Dern had her in a couple of spots that looked where even, you know Dern's wrestling is not great. This isn't a this isn't some kind of revelation. Um, but where Dern should would have been able to finish that takedown against a lot of people, and she was able to defend from there. Her striking just she kept a good pace. She only landed a couple of solid punches, and neither woman has 
Neither woman has striking defense. Both of them keep their heads on the center line, and Jan's elbows flare pretty constantly, and she closes her eyes when she strikes in the pocket. And so does Durin, for that matter. And there's just... Anytime they're at, like, the end of Jan's range, she was... That's when she looks good. When she can kind of poke at you with side kicks and leg kicks. Once things collapse into boxing range or all the way into the pocket, it's out the window. Uh, and that's not just a critique of Jan. Again, Duren's the same way. Most female fighters are that way. I don't know if it's a psychological thing. I don't know if it's a training thing. I, I, I don't know. This is an observation about the state of, uh, like, an observation about what's common. You know, for a long time, headlock takeovers were everywhere and used very inappropriately a lot of the time. And we seem to have evolved past the majority of that. Now they don't seem to crop up anymore in, like, you still get them. But I don't know what the equivalent for the men's side of things would be as far as, like, a bad technique that occasionally has value. But... There was one. Okay, like, like a badly set up overhand right into a double leg. Like that, when that doesn't work, it's ugly as sin. When it's done appropriately, it looks great. The bad head, the bad headlock throws from the women aren't any more prevalent than the bad right-handed double leg from the men at this point. They still show up, but it's not what it used to be. As it used to be all the time. So, you still, get, again, you still get a little bit of that, but uh, Durin hit a couple of them. She failed on at least one that was just bad. Uh, I give both women credit for their cardio. They looked pretty tired in the third round, but they both seemed to kind of get their second wind, and things in the fourth and fifth did not drop off precipitously at all. So, good on them both for that, in that sense. Uh Again, Jan might get a title shot next, or she might have to fight one more. She might have to fight Rose Namajunas or Jessica Andrade. They're both kind of out there floating as possibilities. Uh, I I don't know, but that again, those are both possibilities. A lot's going to hinge on what happens with Zhang and Esparza. So can't make a lot of future plans until we know what's up with that. I think it's time we have a bit of a conversation about Mackenzie Dern. And I'm going to talk about MMA more broadly. I'm going to use her as an example here, but understand something about what I'm about to say, please. This is not bash on Mackenzie Dern. All right? Uh, that's not what I'm going to do here. But we, there's, I think there is a conversation that needs to be had here, and it's not just her. This is a thing in MMA. So... The... I've talked occasionally about the meta of mixed martial arts. As it pertains to what takes place in the cage, let me back up just a... Let's go one step further removed. What's the best way to go about succeeding at high-level mixed martial arts? And I don't mean the most generic things you can say here. I mean, let's drill down a little bit more specifically. I'm not going to say what's the best base for MMA, because I don't think that's the most relevant thing to bring up here. But when I say what's the best way to go about winning, where do you put your efforts? Is it 
I'm I've been around long enough to remember a few different phases of the the sort of evolution of this discussion, right? Originally it was what's your base? What's your style versus the other guy's style? That narrative persisted for way too long. But the the discussion then kind of became, okay, what are your, you know, what are your two things that you're good at? Because you can't be good at just one. You need to be good at two. So if you're, you know, if you're Chuck Liddell, what, what are your two things you're good at? Well, you got knockout power and you're a great anti-wrestler. You know, if you're Anderson Silva, what are your two things? Well, you're a very good jiu-jitsu practitioner and you are a disgusting striker. Meant as a compliment. You know, that that became kind of the narrative for a while. And we can go down here to other guys because being one-dimensional took on a different meaning at that point in time. And a lot of guys who were very good at one thing failed, despite being very good at one thing. But that became kind of the, the thought process here is, you know, okay, what are your two things? And the third you can kind of, we can kind of let slide. You're maybe not a very good striker, but if your takedowns and your overall jiu-jitsu game are good, you're good. You know, if you're a striker and a good jiu-jitsu practitioner, your, your straight wrestling doesn't have to be all that great. Etc. Then, another thing, you know, the wheel turned. And for a while... The narrative became what maybe you need to be the most well-rounded you can possibly be. You saw guys like GSP rise to the fore, and there's nothing George couldn't do. He may not have been, I'm not trying to offend GSP fans here, because I know there's a few of you that listen. George may not have been uniquely world-class in any of the individual aspects of MMA. Was he an Olympic-level wrestler? No. Was he a... You know, would he ever compete at ADCC or the Mundials in Jiu-Jitsu? No. I know he trained... You know, would he go to boxing or kickboxing and succeed at the highest level? No. But he was incredibly adept at being very good at all of those and then blending them together into a seamless game. And he's still at his detractors, depending on which point in his career we're talking about. But he kind of set this template for a, for a while, a number of years, where the argument became, and this also as, as the lighter weight classes came more to the fore, you were seeing guys like Jose Aldo. Well, you know, what's Jose Aldo good at? Everything. Nothing that man couldn't do. You know, what... I, what was Miguel Torres good at? His, his takedowns weren't great, but he was really good at everything else. His takedowns weren't the worst. You know, what what can Faber do? What can Dominic Cruz do? What can Mike Brown do? Like these great fighters. And you're starting to see them and they're good at everything. So the the logic became, well, you have to be good at everything. Well, it turns out that being good at everything is A, very, very hard. And B, leaves you vulnerable to people who are maybe not as good at everything as you, but are close enough in some areas, and then much, much better than you in another one. And that's kind of where we are now, I think. Now a lot of the logic has kind of shifted. It's not quite back to the be good at two of the aspects of MMA, but it's more be good enough at most aspects of MMA. 
and then have a trump card. Have something you do that nobody else can deal with. If you look at Khabib. Was his striking great? No. Uh, was his cardio great? Not especially. Was very. Don't get me wrong. Very good. Certainly better than mine. But, you know, if he went long, he would find rest positions, and that's not a bad thing. You fight to the. You fight the best way you can. Was his, you know, pure jujitsu great? It was better than a lot of people's actually. But, I mean, he didn't have a rank in jujitsu. But you know what I mean when I say what is submission acumen. But man, his wrestling. People just couldn't deal with it. People just could not deal with his wrestling. And his overall, I mean, again, his overall grappling game kind of plays into that because it's not just, wrestling is so much more than just takedowns, but kind of bear with me here. That's where a lot, that's where a lot of people have landed on. Maybe this is the best way to go about mixed martial arts. You work at, you know, you certainly work at everything. You don't wish to be deficient. But it's okay to be less, to not be as good as your peers in most aspects of the game, so long as you're close enough, and then you have that one thing to lord over everybody. And that's not a bad way to go about it. I mean this, that's not a bad way to go about it. Here's the problem, I think, with what a lot of people look at when they think about it like that. That's okay, but one, you do need to have everything else not be horribly deficient, and that's a real problem. The second part is you need some other part of your game that brings your trump card to life. And that can be a lot of different things. It really can. But you need another facet of MMA that is not your trump card, that facilitates your trump card working. And if we talk about Anderson Silva, what may... Better example. Let's talk about Charles Oliveira. Theoretically, in fact, and in actuality in a lot of respects, Charles Oliveira's trump card is his jiu-jitsu game, right? He has an, an unbelievable jiu-jitsu game for mixed martial arts. What brings that to life, though? I want you to think about this for a second. I'm going to tell you what I think it is, but... He's had very, very good jiu-jitsu his entire UFC run. His debut was a really nice armbar win over Darren Elkins. You know, followed by that standing rear-naked choke of um, Efrain Escudero. His jiu-jitsu game has been... It's kind of been his trump card... He's not impervious there. No one's impervious in their trump card necessarily because that's the the language doesn't do it justice necessarily. But what? When did it start? Really? Like, he was beating lower level guys, okay. But what makes it come to life when he fights the very best? Because it's not his jujitsu for his jujitsu's sake. It's his striking. It's his striking being able to force the issue. That, his striking is good. I, I don't mean to disparage his striking. His clinch work especially is quite good. Like, that's where he does a lot of good work because he's not worried about being taken down. 
So if he gets close, he will just batter you with knees to the body and elbows. And people are afraid of his guard. That's what brings his game to life. That's what makes his trump card work so well, is he got comfortable striking, he got comfortable in the pocket, and people don't, and people can't deal with that and his jujitsu at the same time, or the threat of his jujitsu. Mentioned Khabib. What makes Khabib's wrestling come to life? Two things. One of which, one of which is aggression. And his striking, believe it or not. His striking is not great. If you look at it from purely striking for striking's sake, technical standpoint, it's not great. But every bit of Khabib's striking was designed to bring his wrestling game to life. And it worked very, very well. So you want to have a trump card? Cool. You need something else that makes it work. Otherwise, you're going to lose. Because if all you have is one trump card, and you're okay everywhere else, but you can't force the issue, your opponent is frequently, especially at the high end, going to be more than good enough in all the other areas to stop you bringing your biggest gun to bear. Mackenzie Dern has the... She's the most decorated jiu-jitsu practitioner women's MMA has seen. Certainly the UFC is seen. I might have to double-check that in other promotions at other levels, but... You put her in a gi against any other woman in the UFC in a gi, and she's going to smoke them. I don't think there's any debate around this. But she has struggled in the cage. Because she does not have the supporting piece of her game that lets her bring that big gun level at the opponent consistently that can be a lot of things maybe it's just your relentless pace maybe you have really good takedowns that can be straight that can be wrestling that can be judo that can be something like that but maybe it's that maybe it's your striking like charles Oliveira. maybe you're just able to be dangerous enough here that you can overwhelm them because they don't want to take you down that's hard. I, 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 this is not me throwing shade at Mackenzie Dern. But I, you have to say it the way it's true. Dern struggles to bring her biggest weapon to bear on a consistent basis. And that's what happened here. Look, when they hit the mat, the skill differential was obvious. She wasn't able to get the submission, but she she was able to positionally dominate Jan. She threatened her multiple times. Uh, but she never quite got the last little bit to finish off a hold, to lock in a choke, to fully get the armbar, whatever it happens to be. And that's, a, that's something she struggled with, and is she needs an answer to that pretty fast. And I don't know what it is, uh, because the answer for her is not going to be the answer for everyone. You would need you know, this is for her coaches to figure out. But she desperately needs something to support her jujitsu game. Another thing about this, um, 
jujitsu. This is not a knock on jujitsu, for the record. But if you're not drilling your jujitsu with gloves, you're gonna do yourself a disservice. I mean, there's the famous story about like Marcelo Garcia, one of the maybe the best jujitsu practitioner ever, arguably, right? When he went to fight in MMA, uh, I think like his first opponent, uh, somebody asked, I think, uh, I think Eddie Bravo tells the story. They asked Eddie Bravo, you know, how can I get a fighter ready to deal with Marcelo Garcia? Because Marcelo Garcia is a lights-out jiu-jitsu practitioner. The response was, okay, he's going to get your back. He's going to get the seatbelt, which is one arm. It's like a cross-shoulder seatbelt position. You have... One arm that's over the shoulder, kind of down towards the body, and one that's under the other arm, and they kind of it's great for control. He's going to get that on you, because he's Marcelo Garcia, and your guy is not a world-class black belt. Drill wrist control. Because the gloves are going to make it very, very hard for him to get his hands free and actually attack you with a choke. That's what happened. Marcelo had this guy's back, and he just struggled to find chokes with the gloves on because the gloves complicate things. Duren seems to be having that same problem here. Um, also, her ground and pound is, it's not completely, it's not like the weakest thing I've ever seen, and I've seen some very weak ground and pound. But it's relatively anemic. And I, blending ground and pound with jujitsu is an art unto itself. So what I'm suggesting, again, this is not an easy thing, but she should probably have a better handle on how to mix those two things together at this point. Because being able to threaten more consistently with strikes and getting stoppages or damage from that position will open those opportunities up, and they're just not quite there. Like, she had the back for the, a giant chunk of the fifth round. And she's able to land kind of punches and hammer fists at times, but Jan was able to just get two on one, hold one of the hands and grab the glove more than once, and just hold it. And okay, you're going to hit me. Fine, hit me with your little hammer fist. I'm not giving you the arm back. You got to put some authority onto those to make them go, no, I don't wish to be hit or to concuss them enough to where they start making bad decisions because their brains rattled. And I... She's just struggling a little bit with that. There's still time. She's obviously with a very good coach, with Jason Perillo. But... She needs that supporting element of her game that is just not there at the moment. So... I don't know what's next for her. She might fight Nama Yunus or Andrade. She might fight someone down a little bit further in the rankings because she's going to drop from number five. She's still very talented. She is game. She's got a good chin. Like There's a lot of reason to believe in her upside still, but... How old is she? She's 29. So there's still a couple of years. But... These are these are potential issues that need to be addressed in fairly short. Like we need to start seeing progression sooner rather than later. That was your main event. Not a bad fight. Um, not great, but not bad. Some high drama towards the end. 
Uh, the fifth round in particular, lots of drama. Uh, your co-main event. Randy Brown defeats uh, Francisco Trinaldo via unanimous decision, 29-28 across the boards. Brown wins one and two, Trinaldo wins three. Not a lot of controversy here. Here's the only controversy. The second round, which Brown is, he's winning up to this point in the round. I mean, he's doing well. He's fighting long, keeping Trinaldo at bay. Drops him with a right hand in the first round. Uh, was well schooled against the southpaw. Second round, Trinaldo's finally able to close distance. He gets a body lock. They hit the fence, goes for a takedown, and he's got Brown dead to rights, and Brown grabs the fence to stop being taken down. And he does. He stops himself from being taken down. He gets taken down again a little bit later, but the the timing difference here is pretty key because ultimately it doesn't give Trinaldo a lot of time in top position to work. Third round, Trinaldo is able to get the takedown a bit earlier, holds it, lands short elbows and whatnot, you know, wins the third but not the fight. John Anik, and God bless him for saying this, commentary... Good commentary team for this one, actually. We had Anik, uh, Paul Felder, and Dominic Cruz. Thankfully, no uh, no podcasting Daniel Cormier. I realize that Daniel Cormier on commentary is basically the MMA version of Dr. Hibbert from The Simpsons, and I can't unhear it. Someone else might have mentioned that before, but I, it just struck me the other day. And, oh, God. When Cormier's on point on commentary, he's a valuable asset. When he's left to his own devices, yeesh. He's not good. It's just not good. But commentary sees the fence grab, and they have a mini debate here about, well, what do you do? Do you give the guy the takedown? You know, because he kept the position, he kept the clinch. Like, do you give him the takedown? Like, what do we do here? And Attic says, I'm going to quote him here, or you pull your testicles out and you take a point, if you're the ref. And just, <laughs> thank you for saying it, John Anik. <laughs> refs don't like being the story of a fight. I get it. Refs are hesitant to take points because you've got three rounds. Points mean a lot more in that context in MMA than they do in other sports with more rounds. I get it. Or where it's harder to get them back for, through other means. I get it. But I mean this sincerely in MMA. If... Uh, I think Cruz brought this up. Like, if they're not going to take... If there's not going to be any penalty for cheating, A, is it cheating, and B, why wouldn't you? Uh, Jeremy Lambert, a former colleague at 411 Mania, now writes for Fightful. I think he got married today, actually. So my, uh, congratulations to him and his wife. But he used to say that Chuck Congo was the smartest man in MMA because he knows there's no penalty for that first shot to the groin. Chuck Congo was infamous for having at least one groin, shot, groin strike in every one of his fights. And we all whined about it, but, you know, the reality? If, there's, if the ref's not doing anything to affect the outcome of the fight, then why wouldn't you? Uh, there's another MMA coach I've heard tell this story. Uh, when he was a kickboxer, he was fighting in a uh, a promotion, and I think this was K1 kickboxing. Um, or it was some version of kickboxing where knees were not allowed. 
and his opponent was able to get inside his kicking distance and was kind of messing him up with you know, in close with punches. He asked his coach between rounds, what do I do? And his coach said, next time he charges in, knee him in the body. And he went, that's against the rules. Well, yes. You know, knee him in the body next time he comes in. So he did. And the ref told him, hey, no knees to the body, knock that off. He said, yes, yes, Mr. Referee, sorry. But it worked. The other guy stopped bum-rushing him and he was able to win. Now, if the only thing the referee is going to do is give you a warning, then congratulations, you actually, then that's the only price you have to pay for the foul. That's not, believe it or not, like we use phrase, like he got away with one. That's not getting away with it. The referee acknowledges it and warns you there is, there is something there. When we say they got away with it, they mean like, we mean you know, there's no material cost which is true, if they don't take away a position or a point, there is no material cost. So, again, the question at that point becomes, why wouldn't you? I mean that. If, if, you're, if the penalty you pay for grabbing the fence to avoid being taken down is the ref yelling at you, okay, why wouldn't you? I'm not calling on refs to take points for every little infraction. I understand there has to be some give and take here. I understand all that. I am saying there's a lot of fouls and cheating that goes on in MMA. A lot. Referees won't call strikes to the back of the head as fouls. Like, they'll warn you verbally a dozen times before they ever do anything about it. They won't really take points away for grabbing the gloves. Especially if you can kind of pretend, nope, sorry. If the referee says, let go of the glove when, the, when your fingers are in the glove and you immediately let go, they're not going to take a point. You can kind of try and play it off as, sorry, accidental. Then go back to doing it. You never get a point deduction for the first groin strike. You never get a point deduction for the first eye poke. Certain values. I have to double check the full on never, but almost never, if not never. So I'm I'm gonna ask again. Why wouldn't you? Uh, it's again, it's a tough question, and it's one that has to be kind of addressed in different ways. But there it is. Uh, solid win for Randy Brown. You know, good on him. Uh, he's looking good. He seems to finally have kind of found his footing. Fighting long, fighting smart. His wrestling's gotten much better. Clearly pretty dangerous on the feet so eh, solid win and Trinaldo's an old warhorse at this point so you know I mean Trinaldo's like 45 Jeez. good on him man good on Trinaldo alright bantamweights Hani Barcelos who is chronically underappreciated defeated Trevin Jones via unanimous decision 30-25 a bit much 2 30-27s at least one of those rounds could have easily been 10-8 great showing for Barcelos uh, he dropped Jones, I think, in the first. Jones? Hang on. Um, that was Davis. Was that Davis? Both of them had great knee work in the clinch in the first round. That's why I'm kind of confusing them. Um, Barcelos is good on the feet. 
better on the ground, good, good about getting takedowns, good top control, just beat up Trevin Jones. Barcelos, very underappreciated. He had a good uh, winning streak for a while in the UFC. He kind of fell on some hard times recently, but much-needed win for him. So uh, good on him. He's a very, very good fighter. He's he's 35, which I think is the big thing that might influence or hold him back, but he's good, man. He's very good. Um, Sadiq Yusuf ran over Don Shanus, the guillotine choke, in 30 seconds. Um, Shanus took this fight on short notice a little bit ago. That fight got bumped from another event to this one. Um, Yusuf looked like he should have looked. I don't have a whole lot to say there. Uh, lightweight Mike Davis defeated Vyacheslav Borshev. Uh, which is how I'm going to pronounce it. That's, how, that's more or less how they were pronouncing it on the broadcast, so that's what I'm going with. Um, Borshev just needs work on his takedown defense. Um, Davis, Davis hurt him bad in the first round with some knees in the clinch. Uh, that's where the 10-8 could have come in, or was it the third? It was just the first. Um, Borshev is a, he's got good hands, but he's another guy who kind of struggles when it all comes at him at the same time. He got to the UFC probably too early. It was like, what, 6-0 and oh when he got to the UFC? Less than 10 fights. That's, yeah, that's very rarely a good thing. Not never, but very rarely. Solid enough performance out of Mike Davis, who's been off for... He's been off for a while, hasn't he? Yeah, he'd been out well over a year. Well over a year and a half, jeez. He last fought in January of 21. So, yeah. Yeah, 22 months ish uh, nice to see him back in fighting uh, that was the main card as for the prelims Daniel Santos defeated John Castaneda via knockout punches and a knee strike 428 of the second this was a barn burner great fight this was your fight of the night hands down fight of the night um, Castaneda hurt Santos pretty early with a head kick Cast, uh, Santos Perseveres, his pressure and his pace and his body work just starts adding up. Uh, the sound on the knee that he landed to end this, just just gruesome. Um, really, really good fight here. Really good fight. Look this one up if you haven't seen it. Heavyweights, Alil Latifi defeated Alexi Olenek via unanimous decision, 30-27 across the board. This fight sucked. Lightweight, Joachim Silva. Got back on the winning track. He defeated Jesse Ronson via TKO, knee and punches, 308 of the second. Another fight where just kind of pace and body work wore Ronson down. Silva. Oh, no, no, no. Silva ended this with a beautiful flying knee. Ronson struggled with this one when Silva would go southpaw. Because um, Ronson is a southpaw. And anytime there were open stance, things were things were pretty even. Silva seemed to have a little bit more punching power, but uh, Ronson was holding his own. When Silva went southpaw, um, Ronson wasn't ready to fight from the closed stance, and you could tell this because he's constantly doing things the wrong direction. Case in point, at the end. 
he's very clearly used to drilling and sparring opposite stance. So he slips the jab to his own. Hang on. He slips the jab um, to his right because that gets you to the outside of, a, of an open stance jab. You slip to the outside on that one. Now, you can slip inside. I'm not saying you can't, but the general rule of thumb, you slip outside. That muscle memory is so baked into him that when he's now facing someone in the closed stance, you'd, again, you would like to slip the other side. To the outside, it's safer. Case in point, he slips to the inside, which, again, you can do, but you better have a really good read. He slips inside, and the jab's almost more of a fake from Silva. Then he throws a front leg flying knee. Looked a little bit like, um, if you played Street Fighter 2, Sagat's tiger knee. I think he would come from the back leg, though. But yeah, like that, that picture-perfect position with the legs. Throws kind of a switch front leg flying knee up under the chin. Drops runs in late stoppage from the ref, actually. This could have been stopped much earlier. Really pretty finish out of Silva. Uh, good, good from him. Let's see, middleweight Brendan Allen defeated Christoph Yatko via rear naked choke, 417 to the first. Decent fight for as long as it lasted. Um, just better grappling is a general rule from Allen. Uh, he used a really nice position to finish, actually. He had a gift wrap. Used that and some pressure and a threat of an arm triangle to force Jotko onto his knees. Then, because he's already got one arm gift wrapped and he can't properly defend, choke. Um... Solid stuff out, out of Allen here. I was surprised he was the underdog, to be to be candid. Um, would have been a... Again, I don't bet. Plus money on Brandon Allen against Jotko. That, if I did bet, I would have. Um, catch weight. He had one... Oh, sorry. The Santos and Castaneda fight was at 140. Normally, those are both bantam weights. There was a late notice doohickey. Um, catch weight, 140. Chelsea Chandler and Yulia Stoliarenko. This was supposed to be Chandler against someone else. Yeah, Leah Lutzen. Um, Lutzen pulled out. Stoliarenko comes in. Stoliarenko gets a quick takedown, passes quickly, gets to mount, goes for the armbar, loses it, and is never in the fight again. Um, some nice positional work from Chandler throughout. She's got thudding power, it looks like. Oh, God, the striking in this. The absolute... I'm going to steal from Jack Slack here in his phrasing. The absolute state of the strikes being thrown in this in this fight was dire. It was just bad. Um, Chandler mentioned after the fact that she can make it to 135, but it's a tough cut, so she needs plenty of time. Or she'd like to fight a couple of other potential 145ers. 145 is not a real division, but knock yourself out. And kicking everything off, another underdog, uh, Guido Canetti defeated Randy Costa of the Arena Naked Choke 104 of the first. Some nice leg kicks early from Canetti, then Costa threw more of a middle high kick. As Canetti was throwing a leg kick, the Canetti winds up cutting the balance out. Costa bounces up, but Canetti jumps on his back, standing, drives him back down, grabs the choke, no hooks, gets the tap. A, a nice example here of you are taught position before submission for a very good reason that's how you should learn same way you're taught to structure sentences 
you know, don't end them with prepositions. Try not to use passive voice, a lot of other stuff like that. These are all good. These are there's a reason you are taught this way. When you're good, you understand when and how to break the guidelines that you are taught. You're taught position before submission, and that's how you want to learn. Million percent. You should learn that way. When you have some experience and a degree of mastery, you know when you break that rule. Kennedy with a good example of knowing when to break that rule here. Uh, got him the win. If he'd tried to go for position first, things might have stalled out. He might still have gotten it, but uh, he was able to get the neck very quickly. And I think the suddenness of it and the quickness of his squeeze, because uh, Costa, in theory, has plenty of defensive options from this position. But it's all in so fast and so tight, he does, hey, you've got a dozen defensive options from here. Great. And you're being choked. So if you're not ready for that you know, immediately, you're going to be in trouble. And he had to tap. So pretty good win for Kennedy. That was the card. We had a few fights fall out. Um, we were supposed to get Maxime Grishin and Felipe Linz. Um, that fell out like during the event. There was some medical issue. Um, like after the weigh-in. Uh, what else did we lose? Um, there was one other thing. Um, yeah, we lost. Um, we lost Jessica Penne and Tabitha Ricci. Uh, there was some illness for pain, uh, for Penne, so we lost that. Uh, yeah, so ultimately a fairly... Dude, the, the string of quick finishes throughout the beginning of this event, they were struggling to fill the airtime a little bit. It was... It was kind of a thing. Uh, your bonuses, fight of the night, I mentioned it, Santos and Castaneda. Performances went to Joachim Silva, Brendan Allen, Chelsea Chandler, and Guido Canetti. Get a finish, get a submission this time around. Nope, sorry, Sadiq Yusuf did not get one. Uh, okay. Yeah, that was the event. Um, okay. I, I put off talking about this because I wanted to get through the action first. There were zero media at this event. Zero media. There were almost no fans. There were like five people there. Now, one of them was the Meta, uh, I believe the name changed official, Meta CEO, found, uh, Mark Zuckerberg, and his wife. And like a few other people that he invited, I guess. Uh, no other fans, no media present for this event. I'm trying to figure out how I want to start this. I'm not going to be one of those guys who other people are like, you know, a couple of guys bludgeoning each other for, you know, $30,000 while a tech oligarch billionaire sits cage side for his own abusement is a little too on the nose. I'm not going to do that. I think that's, I think there's a little bit of, uh, I'm going to say posing, but I don't mean in the, like, I, I mean, posture is a better word here. That's a little bit of posturing. That said, um, no, it's not a great look. <laughs> Just straight up, it's not a great look. 
here's the other thing about this. So during fight week, media stories start leaking out from the media that they were told when they started applying for press credentials for the event, there will be no media. The line that Dana White gave very briefly after the Contender Series on Tuesday was, we wanted to give you guys the night off. Which is a nothing line from Dana White, like a lot of his lines. A few other people in the media, um, Ariel Helwani, Luke Thomas, um, who's the third? I forget who the third one was. I apologize, there was a third. Um, Helwani did this famously like on the MMA Hour. He said... I've heard multiple people that Mark Zuckerberg is you know, the reason there's no one else in attendance and Mark Zuckerberg's going to be there. Uh, again, other people confirm this. Uh, like This is what we've all been hearing. Mackenzie Dern at the pre-fight press conference where there was media goes out and says, yeah, I heard, you know, Mark Zuckerberg rented out the apex. So you know, we'll be fighting. So Dana White then takes to Twitter and goes, Zuckerberg did not rent out the Apex. Total BS. Now, Dana might get by on a linguistic technicality, but here's the thing about that. One, I appreciate linguistic technicalities. I really do. It's it's fun. I, I, I enjoy it. If he's going to lean on Zuckerberg didn't rent out the facility, he bought all the tickets as, as his defense for this tweet then, okay, if you, here's the thing about that. If that's the game you want to play, there's, one, you need a good history. Two, there's a tone that goes into playing that effectively. And Dana does not have either of those things when it comes to stuff like this. Not at all. So, (laughs) here's my question to all of you. And I mean this sincerely. Look, Dana's a promoter. He's a liar. Promoters are liars. It's part and parcel with the job. Um, this is not me saying that all promoters are terrible people. That's an individual thing. There are terrible people who are promoters, yes. But they're liars. They have to be, in some respects. When and how you lie is important. Dana's track record at this point is such that I don't know why you would take anything he says at face value. He has lied, on the record, more than once. If you'll recall, there were questions about, there was a season of The Ultimate Fighter that was supposed to culminate with a third fight between Chuck Liddell and Tito Ortiz. Well, there were rumors coming around while the the season was airing, so it had already taped, that... Um, Tito was hurt and he wouldn't be able to make it and someone else was going to fill in and Dana bear in mind we've al- he's already taped everything the season's been taped, it's been in the can for a while he knows this is not true says no, Chuck's going to fight Tito on whatever date at whatever event total lie bald faced lie like two episodes later it comes like Tito pulls out and Rich Franklin comes in to replace him Total lie, as one example. Plenty of others. So when you have 
multiple um, journalists or media personalities in the field with good relationships with people who are in the know saying one thing. Uh, look, whatever you want to say about uh, Ariel Hawani's personality or uh, some of his business decisions or whatnot, I'm, I'm not... Set all that aside and consider just the following. If he says... I have enough I have enough reports and enough sources confirming X. If he comes out publicly and says X, do you think he is accurate in telling the truth? He's he's got an almost impeccable track record of accuracy with stuff like this. Or are you going to believe Dana White on Twitter? pick you can pick whatever you want to at this point but again this is not mean dana white is a habitual liar in all of his personal life or anything it means if he says something and there is no supporting evidence you need to be very careful about whether or not you choose to believe him when multiple people who are trustworthy and have proven themselves accurate if, if you don't prefer trust trustworthy who have proven themselves accurate historically say X, and Dana says X is a lie, and offers no corroborating evidence, who are you going to believe? Um, <laughs> yeah, the, the UFC was just like leaning into Zuckerberg being there at different points in time, and they got roasted on Twitter for this, man. Um, and there's pics of like Zuckerberg behaving like something approximating a real human for once getting into a fight, and like, yeah, Zuckerberg's all of us, and just, no. So much no. <laughs> and look, let me be clear about something. The UFC's a business. This is private property. Right? The, the Apex is their facility. They built it, they own it. They pay taxes on it, but it's theirs. If the UFC chooses not to have anyone present for any of this when it comes to their private property, that's their choice at their discretion. I would like to think that fighters had some say in that, but fighters have no say over anything and won't do anything about it. But... It, I mean, they would never... Would they never do this at a real venue? They'd lose too much money at a real venue. I don't know what they sell the individual tickets for to be part of the Apex, but they're not cheap. So I imagine that, you know, uh, I imagine Zuckerberg bought the whole thing, is kind of how this works. He wanted to go see it. Fair enough. He's got the disposable income to go see it. Fair enough. He has enough of it to say, I would like to buy everything so I'm not accosted by MMA fans. MMA fans suck. Guys, let's be, everybody listening to this, let's be honest about this. All right? You ever been, you ever been to a live MMA event? It's, it, we're not the worst, okay? Let me be very clear. We are not the worst fans in the world by a long shot. Um, we are not certain levels of professional football fans. Soccer fans, depending on where you are in the world, like but we're not the worst, but we do kind of suck, right? Well, let's be honest about this, and I'm I'm going to include myself in this, okay? This is not I'm not preaching to anyone. We, 
You don't want to be around fans. The lack of media is a little bit troublesome. Um, really kind of is. But, again, that's kind of the UFC's call. I'm, I'm not a fan of the potential precedent this sets. There was some discussion that you know, when Zuckerberg's involvement broke, there was not a whole lot of dispute about his involvement. There was dispute about what exactly was going on. There was speculation that there was going to be something to do with the metaverse. No, this was just Zuckerberg not wanting to be around anyone he didn't want to be around and watch fights. Okay, you know what? Again, I don't like it. I don't like the look of it. I don't like the messaging. I don't like the optics. I I don't like any of that. I'm not going to pretend that I'm not sympathetic, right? If you could, you know, go to watch high-level mixed martial arts with no one else there but, you know, your wife and maybe a couple of friends and you know, obviously all the all the personnel required to put on the show... I would do it. Would you? Like, you, tell me you wouldn't, first of all. Not, again, I'm not saying whether or not you can. If money is no object, and in this case it's not for him, you tell me you wouldn't? I would. So I, I'm, I'm not unsympathetic to the desire here, but it's a bad look, and... You know, here's the other thing about this. This will never happen in the UFC until legislation passes. This would never happen if someone on this card got a percentage of gate revenue. Just throwing it out there. Just would not happen. Uh, I understand the circumstances that could, that kind of conspired to bring about this result, but I don't like it. I like quieter events, believe it or not. Like, this is one of those things. I don't miss MMA fans when they're not there at all. I don't miss the drunken woos. I don't miss the stupid chants. I don't miss the stupid booing. I don't miss any of that. Uh, but, as I said, it, just, it doesn't feel good. This just didn't feel right in a lot of ways. And, and again, like, there was no business model. There was no business thing here. This wasn't the... This wasn't Meta trying to do something with a... We're going to, you know, try you know, setting up some kind of broadcast doohickey for a sporting event for the Metaverse. Like, there wasn't any of that. Um, it, look, if there were, like, security concerns or whatnot, I could understand that, but... I mean, for the president, when Donald Trump was president of the United States, he attended... Um, the Diaz and Masvidal card. Right? The, the President of the United States went to an event at Madison Square Garden with tons of fans. Uh, I mean, whatever Zuckerberg's uh, neuroses happen to be, they're very different from Trump's, obviously, but I don't know. I just, again, like the whole thing just doesn't feel quite right. Um... So yeah, that, that's my thoughts on the event. Such as they are, if you want my full report, it's in the MMAZona411mania.com. Please do give it a read if you are so inclined. That took way too long talking about, but we will move on. We soldier forth. Alright. Let's... I'm going to do one or Bellator. Let's do one first. Let's do one first. 
So, one had a couple of events this weekend. Um, let me double check. Find this. So, we had one on Prime Video 2. They need a better naming scheme. Um, we had some good fights. Main event, um, Zhang Jingnan defeated Angela Lee for the to defend her strawweight title. This is actually 125 because one's weight classes are all up. Weird. Um, this was a unanimous decision. Both Chatri Sichutong and Angela Lee threw kind of a hissy fit because this always happens. The Lee siblings, for as much as they are touted in kind of the one promotional material as being like the spirit of martial arts and Bushido and all that crap, they cannot lose gracefully. They just can't lose gracefully. And Chatri, they're kind of his pet project in some respects, so he's like, I want to see the scorecards. I don't agree. Shut up. Angela Lee was like, you know, I like our scoring criteria, but I kind of think we should do it round by round instead of over the whole fight, because then I would have won. And to be clear, I think if you scored round by round, there's a real argument that she might have won. Or we probably would have had a draw, actually. Because Jiang just in the first round, beat the crap out of Lee. Um... I agree with the decision, for the record. Setting aside the controversy at the end, really good fight. These two have had three great fights. They've all been very good fights. Um, Zhang kind of went off on Chatri when she was told at the post-fight presser that you know, Chatri thought you lost. And she, like, she went off a little bit, and you know what? I don't blame her. Um, she fought her heart out, and again, I thought she won. Using the one scoring criteria, I think that's fair. But yeah, well, whenever Brandon Lee, Brandon Lee, Christian Lee, sorry, Brandon Lee was the son of Bruce Lee. When Christian Lee would lose and he lost a controversial decision, the first thing he said was, yeah, we're going to appeal this because there's a appeal process in one. Uh, we're going to take it to the board or whatever. And like, just, oh, gosh, shut up. Lose with a degree of dignity. You don't have to be happy about it. But. It's just a bad look when you basically go, huh, you know, it's a, it's all scripted, right? I win, I get, you're like, without the humor, you are Robin, you're Carrie Elwes from Robin Hood Men in Tights. I can't lose. Let me see the script. <laughs> it's a little bit what we get here sometimes from that. Great fight. But again, put aside that great fight. Um, there was a grappling bout. Uh, Mikey Mumasechi ran over a guy. Oh, Look up the finish to... Oh, that wasn't grappling, sorry. That was actually MMA. Um, was it? I have to double-check that. I'm pretty sure it was. Um, anyway, look up the finish to stamp Fairtex and Jean uh, Raduzan. Uh, Fairtex landed a brutal elbow. Uh, absolutely brutal. Wound up going the distance, but brutal elbow from Fairtex. Um, was there anything else that struck me on this? Not especially. Um, Halil Amir actually defeating Timofei Nastyukin. A little bit surprising there. Nastyukin's pretty darn good, but I think the last couple of fights might have taken a bit out of him. He's on a three-fight losing streak. Um, so he might have... Again, he might have... He might have you know, passed the washed point. 
hit his high points. So a uh, little bit surprising, but a good finish from Amir. Um, I'm going to echo a sentiment that I saw more than once about this card. Look, one's product, when you get around all the BS, is interesting. They have some good fighters. They're kickboxing and Muay Thai, not the same thing. Uh, they have uh, Doing that in the cage is interesting. Doing Muay Thai in four-ounce gloves, I love that. I actually really love that. They've got a different rule set. They've got a different scoring criteria. Look, Bellator, not just Bellator. Bellator, PFL, whatever else you want to say. From a perception standpoint, they're UFC light. From a perception standpoint, please don't yell at me about that. Largest segment of the audience is casual. To the casual fan, why would you watch Bellator when you can watch the UFC? The UFC is better. Not always true. This is a perception issue. Stick with me, please. That's a problem for them. Because what does Bellator do that the UFC doesn't? And again, arguably better. They don't have anything. They've got good fighters. And if you like MMA, you'll watch Bellator most of the time. Not every card. And if you really like MMA, you'll watch the PFL, especially a handful of events when they put on some really good fights. There's talent in the PFL. There's talent in Bellator. There's nothing really to differentiate them from the UFC, and if you are trying to do the same thing as the best promotion and not doing it as well, then you are X light. That's perception. I don't agree with it all the time, but that is the perception, and it's the reality of the perception. One does not have that same problem. They have a different product. They put on different fights. They have different rules. They have a different scoring criteria. Like, there's a lot to differentiate their product from the UFC's product. Problem with one is I think they're struggling to get a legitimate viewer base in the United States. Arguably at all, but that's arguably. This was a good card. I, I don't have a whole lot bad... I mean, I'm not going to go into detail about a lot of it, but I don't have any, almost anything bad to say. It's a good card. But they're struggling to get eyeballs on their product. They just are. So, my brief thoughts on one there. I, again, if you didn't see Zhang and Lee, look it up. It's not, if you got Amazon Prime, you got access to it. Great fight. Um, let's briefly talk Bellator, because they had an event. Just want to double check this. Um, okay, 286. Where were they? Oh, they were in California. Yeah, yeah, because it was um, McKee's hometown, basically. Um, main event, Patricio Pitbull defeats Adam Boards for unanimous decision. No real issues there. Um, AJ McKee beats, Spark, uh, beats Spike Carlisle. This fight was bonkers. Like, Carlisle missed weight, and he kind of complained about it after the fact. Like, I've, I've never missed weight before. I don't know if the thing's calibrated properly. You could have just shaved your head, buddy. I'm just saying. You, if you if you get to the point where, like, they, the scale's an issue, 
Do everything you can to make sure it goes in your favor. And you might have a glorious head of hair, Mr. Carlisle, and you do. Shave it. <laughs> Just do everything you can. Uh, this Again, bonkers fight. McKee wins, no issue. But absolutely crazy fight. Um, Jeremy Kennedy beats Aaron Pico. There's a shoulder injury to Pico in the first round. It's not the fight between rounds because of the shoulder issue. Um, Pico's corner trying to put the shoulder back in between rounds. Look, anybody who's been around combat sports, especially like wrestling, judo, MMA, jiu-jitsu, you're going to encounter instances where a shoulder comes out or fingers get dislocated. Somebody who's been around for a while will know how to put those back in, assuming there's nothing, assuming it's not terrible. Right? Um, Mark Montoya did this for one of his guys in the UFC. The guy lost the fight. His shoulder was clearly out. And Montoya, he comes over and coach put it back in. And Montoya just kind of grabs it and you know, does the thing that you're supposed to do. Put the arm up, rotate it in, rotate it. You, you bend the arm at the elbow, give you a leverage point. You rotate, it, the shoulder rotates and pops back in. It's not pleasant. You should still see a doctor. I'm not advocating that everyone do this. I am saying if you've been around long enough, you've seen enough fingers get kind of popped out. That you know, okay, isolate here, pull here, snap it back into place. And, you know, if you're a hard-ass, get back to work. <laughs> but seeing Brandon Gibson kind of yanking on that thing and just... They stopped it, they had to stop The corner should have stopped it. But MMA corners will not throw in the towel. They just won't do it. Will not do it. Um... Bonner Chaletta defeated Enrique Barzola. I have a whole lot to say there. I don't have anything to say about the prelims. Um, Pitbull, after the fact, doing the same old, yeah, Dana White's a coward. He won't let me fight. Let me fight Volkanovsky or whatnot. And One, if Bellator cared that much, then they could try advocating for federal legislation that might facilitate this. Which an Ollie expansion, among other things, would do. I don't, I don't want the Ollie Act ported over one to one from MMA, for MMA. I think there's some issues there. I do, however, think we could use it as a template and find some of the good things there that could be brought over to help fighters. But Bellator doesn't actually care. They just like making talking points. Um, Pitbull, whatever, man. But look, there's a lot of high-level featherweights in the UFC I think Pitbull would beat, for the record. But this is just a lot of nonsense talk. That's all this is. Uh, but another good win for Pitbull. He was not ha he got booed a bit and, like, you know, and was not having it from the crowd. And you know what? Fair play to him. You know, you getting booed by a crowd and you don't think it's fair, you are not obligated to be deferential to the crowd at all. I said, MMA fans kind of suck. We do, guys. Again, including me in this, I am not above the criticism here. So, you know what? Occasionally, if we deserve it, go for it. Um, I, I don't have a whole lot else there, so... But that was the Bellator event. Alright, let's move on. Uh, we got some news. News. Um, Bo Nickel competed on one of the most more recent uh, episodes of the Contender Series again. Great win for him. Good footwork. Actually, pretty good ring positioning. 
Hits a left hand. He's fighting southpaw. Left hand to a knee tap. The old Frankie Edgar special. Um, Frankie. Frankie tend to do it orthodox. He always fought orth orthodox, but I think he kind of shifted through that. Either way. Um, gets to full mount right away. Grabs the triangle choke as he's kind of rolled over. Um, going to the UFC. He got his first fight, actually. Um, he's going to fight Jamie Pickett at, I believe, the January pay-per-view. Uh, I'm fine with that. Here's my only request for this. He's got, like, three MMA fights. He's clearly talented. But can we not do the throw this guy to the wolves, please? If he's going to come to the UFC this early... And given his background and what he's shown thus far, he's one of the few cases where this might not backfire. you got to treat him like Cain Velasquez. You don't know what I mean by that. Feel free to go back and double-check Cain Velasquez's resume. He came to the UFC very early, again, I think 3-0. He was hyped pretty early, but he spent the first couple of years of his UFC career... I'm not going to say crushing cans. That's a disservice to some of the guys he was fighting... But he was fighting very clearly not the elite. We're going to bring Bo Nickel in at this point. The guys like Jamie Pickett, that's the level he should be fighting for a while. Unless he demonstrates genuine superhuman acumen. Let's spend 18 months with him, with him fighting the Jamie Picketts of the world. All right, let's get three or so of those under our belt. All right. That's that's the only thing I'm going to say about this. Look, is his wrestling better than, you know, Kamzat Shemaev's? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, Bo Nickel's a decorated amateur wrestler. His wrestling's better. His striking better? No, not really. But let, let's just take our time with this, please. There's no rush. Um, let's talk briefly about some other UFC fights since I mentioned Bo Nickel's. Um... We've got a welterweight fight for UFC 283. Um, Brad Tavares and Gregory Rodriguez, RoboCop. Good fight. Good middleweight fight. Love this fight, actually. Uh, featherweights for UFC and ESPN Plus 72. Movsar Evloyev and Bryce Mitchell. That'll be fun. That's a real good fight. Good fight for both guys. In the same vein. Ooh, buddy. This fight's going to get kind of buried on this card, probably, but... For UFC and ESPN Plus 75, Armin Saryukian and Demir Ismagulov. Heck yes. Hook that into my veins. That is some good stuff. So The UFC is kind of filling out their end-of-the-year cards at this point, so we'll keep our eyes and ears open for other news related to that. Uh, all right. God, am I going to talk about this? Yeah, you know what I am. I'm going to talk about this, because I talked a little bit about it last week. So, if you'll recall last week, I mentioned that it came out, through a little bit of investigating and reporting, that USADA has not tested Conor McGregor since his fight with Poirier. And there was some speculation about this, like, what's going on here? Not sure I like this, and that's all fair enough. I'm certainly not going to... Well, USADA issued a statement, sort of, in response to some of the allegations, some of the talking points. Um, and it goes something like this. 
Once UFC athletes are enrolled in the testing program, they are subject to testing, even when not competing, unless they notify the UFC of their retirement. Their contract is terminated, both of which make sense for reasonable reasons. They would not be tested by USADA. Or, here's a pretty big or, they are otherwise removed from the program. What qualifies as otherwise removed from the program? What is this otherwise? Who decides otherwise? How do they decide otherwise? You people, USADA, have shown up at all hours of the day and night. You showed up at one fight to demand a urine sample from one fighter while his wife was giving birth. I don't have a lot of patience for you people. Right? I Look, I'm going to eat crow here. You guys may not remember this. When the UFC brought in USADA, I was one of the people who considered this a step in the right direction. Right? L let me let me eat crow. Past me, you suck. You were not as informed as you should have been. You were wrong. Very, very wrong. Of course, I would smack past me in the face. You know, you take me back to past me any point for like the last 20 years, I would probably smack myself in the face given half the opportunity. But some of that's my self-loathing issues. Um, like, you give me Teenage Mika. I would have beat the crap out of Teenage Me. Just insufferable douche. Thinking back on it. Neither here nor there. Point being... What is going on here? Like, again, what's the otherwise and who decides it? If he's not being tested because he's still, you know, dealing with the aftermath of his leg break. Okay. Say that. Say that. And then, you, then fairly apply that standard. If he's not being tested because the UFC said, leave him alone, he's got to get on the gas to fill out to film a movie. One, I've said this before, I don't care that most actors are on some kind of anabolic. Right? I, I don't care. Look, the acting business is hard. I've said this in the past. I think acting is one of the most difficult jobs in the world. People don't give it the credit it's due. There's a physical component to this, and it's not fair. Let me Let me... Let me News, uh, there was a thing earlier this week where I think like Bryce Dallas Howard came out and said, you know, I was told to lose weight for Jurassic World Dominion. And if you look at Bryce Dallas Howard's body from the previous Jurassic World movie to the most recent one, she's clearly put on weight. Now, she's still a very attractive woman. Okay, I'm... D please, don't get out your pitchforks and come, out, uh, come after me for that, okay? Please don't. I'm, this is a... This is a fact not a value judgment okay still a very attractive woman and there were some you know some faux pearl clutching headlines that went oh i can't believe this still happens guys look look at um okay here's one look at hugh jackman shirtless in the first x-men movie then look at him shirtless in Days of Future Past or the Wolverine. You will notice a marked difference in his physique. There's any number of male actors for whom this is true. Okay? 
there's a physical aesthetic component to acting, especially in big budget movies. And is it fair? No, I'm not. I'm not here to debate who it's more unfair to, because I don't know that it's more unfair to men or women. I genuinely don't. Like, you want to be an actor in a movie where you have to be topless? Men? Look at the standard to which you're going to be held unless you're being played for laughs. I, I forgot to say, I already mentioned to you, Jackman, that poor guy is in his mid-50s, and he's going to have to get back into Wolverine shape for Deadpool 3. I wish him all the best, and you know what? I do not care one iota what kind of chemical enhancement he uses to help get him there, provided he is informed of the risks and it's done with the appropriate supervision. I don't care. He's not cheating. None of them are. There is no rule they are breaking. Not a one. So, if Connor's on something to bulk up for Roadhouse, whatever the... Movie's gonna suck. I don't care in the sense that I don't care that actors <laughs> trying to make Conor McGregor look big and intimidating is like he's Tom Cruise height with like none of the screen presence. <laughs> That's gonna be a disaster. Like he's got the like real life presence to be crazy and whatnot, but you know, there are people who argue that Tom Cruise, despite being like 5'4 in real life, is 10 feet tall on screen. And there's a... I don't subscribe to that necessarily the same way other people do, but I get the point, and the point is not wrong. But if, if like, oh, he's filming a movie and is going to be on something to help himself become meet the physical requirements that are going to be asked of him. Jake Gyllenhaal is going to be asked to do something very similar, I have no doubt. And he is... There he is. So he is now otherwise removed from the program. Who decides this? Again, who decides it? What's the criteria? How fairly is it being applied? We don't know. We don't know any of this. You, USADA is supposed to add, what, legitimacy? To be the adults in the room? And th this is opaque. This is utterly opaque. Ugh. And the ones suffering the most are the fighters. They're the ones this was unfairly foisted on. They're the ones who suffer the who suffer stigma and suspension and financial ruin because of it. And nobody knows what's going on. They're suffering for the UFC's PR insurance policy. That's what this is. That's all this is. And I'm sick of pretending it's otherwise. I'm not even saying legalize all PEDs. I'm not I'm not on that train. I'm saying UFC and a f collective fighters group, if they come together, they come up with something they can live with. Hey, fighters, fans, sorry, not fighters, fans. We don't care. And it's time we stop pretending we do. Look at the drug testing protocol for the NFL. It's a joke. No one cares. No one cares. No one cares that ADCC doesn't really drug test. No one cares. No one cares. No one cared for years that Pride didn't drug test. If the if the fighters and the UFC come to an agreement, they'd have to get the athletic commissions on board. So if those three parties, okay, if the regulatory body, the promoter, and the fighters 
come to some kind of compromise and agreement about testing, substances, and whatnot, we're all going to shut up and fall in line, and we all know it. Can we be honest about this, please? We all would. I would. That's all I want, believe it or not. I'm not going to sit here and pretend I don't. I want drug-free sport. I don't know that that's possible at this point. That's a pipe dream. Like, would I pie in the sky rather? Sure. Why not? I'm more curious about... I'm equally curious. And here's the other thing we could do. Divisions. Throw it out there. Tested, untested. And if you go into the tested division, you know what you're opting into. Or you go untested. That's kind of what body that's kind of what like bodybuilding does. Uh, they have they have tested and untested division. Don't, here's another example of things no one cares about. Strong men. Watch World's Strongest Man or the like. They don't drug test. Nobody cares. We're watching things that are superhuman. No one cares what they're on. No one. And here, meanwhile, USADA, well, a UFC star, and we're employed by the UFC, well, contracted by the UFC, just, we're not going to test him because he's otherwise been removed with no transparency and no discussion about anything that goes on related to this. It's a clown fiesta. It's time we all started calling it what it is. That's all I want out of this. Let's be honest about it. That's all I want. That's all I want. All right. Off my soapbox about that. All right, that's everything I have written here. So let's check Twitter, see if anything crazy is broken. If not, we will do plugs and get out of here. Alrighty. Nope, nothing MMA related looks to have broken. So uh, what do I got this week? There is no UFC event this week. There is one next week. Uh, yeah, the, um, Araujo and Grosso card is, yeah, the 15th. Um, oh, that card. Like, there's some stuff on there that's not bad. There's, like, three or so fights. I mean, Neil Magny and Daniel Rodriguez is a, it's a good fight. Brandon Royval and Askar Askarov could be kind of fun. But that's kind of it. Like, I'm just going to call a spade a spade. That's kind of it. That's not the... It's not a great main event. I don't have anything against Grosso. In fact, I think she'd probably do a title shot if she wins. I don't have anything against Viviani Araujo. She's had a very good UFC run. Like, you might get the next title challenger out of that main event, but it's not... It, it's not speaking to me. Um... Let's that card. Yeah, we'll give you the full preview next week, but it's it's not it's not speaking to me. Put it like that. Um. Okay. One addition to the usual spate of professional wrestling coverage this week. I will have AEW's Dark Elevation on Monday. Uh, I will be covering AEW's Dynamite on Wednesday. If MLW is back to releasing stuff, I will do that on Thursday. If not, then I won't. And WWE SmackDown on Friday. Um, in theory, main event for this coming SmackDown, it's either going to kick off the show or main event it. Um, 
rematch between Sheamus and Gunther. Heck yes. Loved their match at Clash at the Castle. Those two, just my kind of wrestling, man. Just my kind of wrestling. They beat the crap out of each other. It was great. Looking forward to the rematch. And that will be this Friday. Um, again, no UFC event. In the podcast world, there will be a Damn You Hollywood for the Netflix movie Blonde. Ugh. It's, it's two hours. And, it's almost three hours long. It's almost three hours long. I haven't seen it yet, but I know the runtime, and I'm just depressed. Oh, that's gonna hurt. Gotta find time to watch that, actually. Eesh. Gonna do that. So, Tuesday. Tuesday? Leave we're, we're on our regular day this week, yeah. So, Tuesday. Damn you, Hollywood. Myself, Mark Radulich, talking the almost three-hour fictional account of Marilyn Monroe. Ugh. Yeah, I, I got nothing. I just... I've just got nothing. So... We'll review that. That'll be something. I will be back here next week to preview UFC on ESPN Plus 70. Yeah, that's what we'll do next week. I hope you'll all be here. Until then, thank you as always for listening. I deeply appreciate all of you. Stay safe out there and continue to be well, be safe, and behave.